If the sun therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for July 28th, 2012. And I guess you could call this more of a dedicated study. Really only one subject we're going to be kind of covering, but it's kind of all related. We're going to be looking at uh, the subject of underground bases. Particularly in America, I don't have a lot of of um, intel I know that they exist in all countries, but mostly in America. Uh, how that ties in with black operations, our government, the Nephilim, those types of lighthearted discussions these, that we're going to be covering today. So, the first article, and there's really only two, and it's entitled Subterranean Secrets Revealed. Uh, quote by Fritz Springmeier. Here, here, this shows a picture here at the very beginning of the uh, portal on Cheyenne Mountain um, for uh, our, our government in Colorado, Fritz Bingmeier says, not only is our government focused on building deeper, deep secret cities, but so are the Illuminati families. And this is something that not a lot of people, particularly Christians, are, are aware of. But when things do get bad... These are going to be a lot, there, there's going to be a lot of di- different places that the elite, the globalists, Big Brother, the Illuminati, whatever you want to call them, uh, flee to, migrate to. And that's part of the actual equation, but it's not all of the equation. We're going to kind of try to look at a broad spectrum look at that subject today. So, the beautiful artwork in ancient Spanish caves or the catacombs in Rome remind us that man has always had an underground presence. During the 1990s, my research repeatedly brought me in contact with individuals who had stated that they had been in deep underground military bases. Uh, this is uh, Fritz talking. This is the article that he wrote. We're going to be looking at a couple different uh, articles on this. And here we see a picture of one of these underground, I believe, uh, nuclear-powered boring machines. It actually has U.S. Air Force on the side. You would think, well, why would the Air Force have anything to do with this? Well, it's just the way that worked out for one reason or another, but there's a whole bunch of uh, people in front of it. The thing's very, very large. And um, we're going to provide you with a ton of pictures of different variants of these underground tunneling uh, boring machines. So this is a photo of the United States Air Force tunnel boring machine at Little Skull Mountain, Nevada, USA, uh, December 1982. There are many rumors of secret military tunnels in the United States. If the rumors are true, machines such as the one shown here are used to make the tunnels. Uh, The source of this was the U.S. Department of Energy. Now, I could do a 10-part study on this subject, but due to all the breaking current events and all of the things that are going on in the world, I just can't get into like a 10-part teaching on this subject. We could go much further in depth and provide you with, I mean, there's all kind of patents that are, that you can check if you like on, on these devices that are, you know, in print that you can look at. Um, There's a lot of different ways you can approach this to verify and document this. And, but we just, for time's sake, we just don't have 
time to get into every aspect of it. Here's another picture. Um, and again, I always try to pro provide a, a PDF that comes with each teaching you can access, like, like the audios and the PDFs for free for any teaching. This will be the one associated with um, the 7-28-2012, July 20th, 2012 teaching. And uh, you can also do keyword searches up on contendingfortruth.com if you want to uh, access any of the, uh, the teachings that we have. Um, I've got a lot of inquiries lately about the, um, the uh, USB thumb drive that has all my teachings that are being continually updated. My listener from Australia, Paul, has been so kind as to put that together, and he has a website up on eBay, and you can access that through the uh, homepage at contendingfortruth.com. And um, he ships worldwide, and, and if, if you're interested in having all my teachings in one spot, on one, which I kind of advise, and, and it's one of those things where, too, if we got hit with an EMP uh, blast, you know, it's going to fry all the electronics that aren't um, shielded, I should say. So you may want to think about EMP proofing some of your uh, electronic devices. Uh, I've got just a couple, like, stainless steel sealed trash cans that I've heard those work well for the EMP, and um, you don't actually have to have it grounded, um, but the um, there's a number of different ways you can do that. Uh, aluminum foil, I believe, is the way that you can shield things, but just go up on YouTube and just key in like EMP uh, shielding or proofing or uh, preparedness, that type of thing, and, and there's tons of videos up there. Uh, you can actually even do it to your your vehicle, but preferably on the vehicles, I think if they're that's either 1984 or 1982. Anything before that date is already automatically um, EMP proof, unless you've had modern day components added to it, added to the vehicle. So that's a whole other subject. But anyway, I just thought I'd, I'd throw that in. Here's another, here's another picture uh, of one of these tunnel boring machines. This one's a black and white one. And uh, <clears throat> this is a 15-page... Well, PDF for today. A lot of pictures, though, probably going to just be, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be two parts today. A lot of Bible we're going to actually be getting into as well. So, this is a $13 million tunnel boring machine used for tunneling the Nevada test site. And, I mean, when you see a person in relation to one of these, you kind of get an idea how big they are. Because, right, there's actually a guy at the bottom of this picture, this black and white picture. They're, they're quite large. Many other types of tunnel boring machines, or TBMs as they're referred to, are used by many government agencies, including the nuclear power TBM that melts solid rock and leaves behind glass-like walls. Now, those are the ones that I've, I've read most about in my research. Where they're literally, through nuclear uh, power, they melt the rock in front of them, and it's like the, the rock is molten, and it goes around the tunnel boring machine as it as it plows through the plows through the earth and leaves like this melted glass like wall. And we've got uh, not only are those being used to build underground cities, but also the underground um, high speed rail, I guess you would call it, uh, network 
where these they're they're like beyond bullet trains. These things can go like Mach two, three, four. I don't know. It's 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 insane how fast they go underground, and you don't even know this is all going on under your feet. And they're literally these these connections go under the oceans and all throughout virtually all countries, and they're all. Um, they'll come up in other underground cities and the ma- the vast majority of the population, I'd say 99.9999% of the population doesn't even know these things exist because out of sight, out of mind. So, let's go further. Most tunneling activity is under military installations and all information is highly restricted. Former employees of said facilities have surfaced over the years to talk of massive underground installations in places like Area 51, the Northrop facility in Antelope Valley, California, which is rumored to have 42 levels, and the Lockheed installation near Edwards, uh, I'm assuming Air Force Base in California. The black budget, black budget, now this is money that gets like siphoned off from our taxes, essentially. These black budgets are what, again, the government will use, they'll siphon it off, in whatever manner they're using. And it goes to these projects, and there's no accountability. There's no oversight. It's just funneled into these black projects that do these these types of things. And we don't even know they exist. And this is your tax dollars hard at work. One of the many nefarious uses for your tax dollars. There's, there's no transparency. There's no accountability. And they wouldn't even admit it existed. But the black budget currently consumes $1.25 trillion per year. At least this amount is used in black programs, like those concerned with deep underground military bases, also known as DUMBs. Like, it's deep underground military base, a DUMB. Anyway, that's the acronym for it. Presently, there are 129 underground military bases in the United States. That's according to his research. I wouldn't have any problem with that number. They have been building these 129 bases day and night unceasingly since the 1940s. Now, somebody could say, yeah, well, Fritz Springmeier's this or that. Okay. I've heard all the stuff on Fritz Springmeier, you know, and, you know, John Todd and, and these types of things, people wanting to, to discredit them. I'm not saying that anyone's perfect, including myself. Okay? But all I can say to you is that for the most part, when I have read Fritz's research or John Todd, their research rings true. And I say that because I've been researching this you know, since like 1993, 94. It's confirming to what I already knew from other independent sources. So the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses a thing is established. So... You're just not going to convince me that everything Fritz Springmeier's ever put out is total disinformation when I see it, his research more and more and more confirmed. Like the MK Ultra mind control thing and this Aurora shooter, who evidently it's not even the same guy. If you look at the pictures, this just came out in the last, you know, and I mentioned this last week, but when you actually compare the previous picture they had of this to the one they've got now, his current mugshot, the one where he looks like Ronald McDonald, it's not the same guy. Unless the guy got, like, massive plastic surgery. Like, when you start to look at just the nose and isolate the nose or just the mouth. It's not the same guy. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing that it seems like the government, with all these cover-ups, it's almost like they go out of their way 
to make sure it's is like cheesy and is it, it's just it defies logic. You would think that they would go out of their way to to be like with like lightning pinpoint precision, making sure they cross all the T's, dot all the I's, making sure that everything is just airtight sealed. If they're going to try to pull off these things where there's actually blaming it on one guy when there's actually multiple shooters involved and, and blaming it on a guy and they give his mugshot, it's not even the same guy. It's like Obama's birth certificate. I mean, Sheriff Arpaio's found all these different layering thing, problems and, and it's, it's so, overwhelming the evidence that comes out in these things. You look at 9-11, it's the same way. And it's almost like I think that the Illuminati partly does it on purpose, so they'll see what they can, how dumbed down, and I don't mean my listeners, but I mean for the most part, what they would refer to as the shadow or sheeple people of the planet. How dumbed down are they? How flagrant can we be with what we're trying to get away with? We're going to make this thing so obvious that it was like a government black ops set up MK Ultra mind control trigger. Okay, even if he even did it, which he probably didn't at this point. There's a good chance he didn't. And we're going to see how flagrant we can be and see what, if there's going to be any kind of real public outcry. Because if we can get away with something really, really, really super in your face, obviously flagrant, then we know that we can proceed to the next step of our plan because the sheeple people are so dumbed down at this point that they're not even going to react to the most flagrant things we've, we've put in front of them. I, it's, it's almost like you have to think like that because I can't believe they're that, they're that dumb where they would be just be, or that lazy, when they've got literally a printing press at their disposal with like the Federal Reserve. They just print more money if they need it. So, anyway... Uh, so, he goes on to say, uh, these have been built, these, these 129 bases, day and night, and unceasingly since the early 1940s. See, they can work on these things day and night, nobody's going to know. You know, because it's way underground. So, some of them were even built earlier than that. These bases are basically large cities underground, connected by high-speed magneto-levitron trains. These are the trains I told you about that have speeds up to Mach 2. Now, I've heard that they can actually possibly even go faster than that, but not have ever ridden in one. <laughs> I don't have any first-hand real experience. But the technology for that's been, been around for a long, long time. There were old articles that, that I've seen where it talked about this. I mean, like from like the 70s and late 60s where they talked about that they had the technology, and then you don't hear anything about it. So, several books have been written about this activity as well. The average depth of these bases is over a mile. And again, they are basically whole cities underground. They are all between 2.66 and 4.25 cubic miles in size. They have laser drilling machines that can drill a tunnel seven miles long in one day. Dulce, which meaning Dulce, New Mexico, is probably the deepest base. It goes down seven levels and is over 2.5 miles deep. And that's one of the bases I've seen come up over and over again, which is one of the most wicked, evil underground bases that there is. Now, I don't just say this for entertainment, but also so that we as Christians can know about this wickedness to pray about it. Because there's all manner of 
evil that you can't even comprehend going on in most of these bases, I believe. I, maybe not most, but I, I, I would agree, I would have to say that all of them do not have a good agenda. Maybe not, obviously, all of them at the same level of evil, but for the most part, <laughs> as far as the motivation for building them, it was not, uh, it sure wasn't protect to protect the populace at all. So going further, here are some more thought-provoking images of the tunnel boring equipment. Okay, so, uh, yeah, there's some images here that you can look at. In fact, actually quite a few uh, pretty amazing images of these machines. Under Some of them are underground, some of them are actually above ground being um, uh, carted to wherever they're going to end up and the, the massive uh, implements they have to use to cart these things around. I mean, because they're, they're gigantic. Um, there's one on a train... Here's another one on a train. Obviously, you can't see it, but if you can actually uh, access the PDF online, and if you're in front of a computer, when I do my teachings, you can actually follow along if you want to get more of the visual you know, effect. So here's another one, and um, quite a few. So getting back to the main article, of course, a number of these are openly admitted by the American government. For instance, Cheyenne Mountain. And meaning underground facilities. And many are not, though. I discovered that not only was our government focused on building deep secret cities, but the Illuminati families were as well. Uh, furthermore, they were using technology that the public was unaware even existed. The idea behind all of this was to create safe and secret place for themselves. Witnesses have described elevators going down miles, super fast trains, backup government agencies, genetic experiments, warehouses of stockpiled materials, and non-human, human hybrid projects. Now, some may say, oh, now you stepped over the line. They would never do that. Whoa. I've already reported on that. They've just, not too long ago, I reported on the fact that they've actually, uh, or it, if it was in my newsletter or if it was in my uh, teaching, how they've actually, uh, were actually born the first genetically modified humans in the laboratory. There was like, I don't know how many of them, 13 or something, or more? And they've admitted to it. Now, listen, if they're admitting to it, they've been doing it for probably decades. But they have to gauge public sentiment what the public will be able to accept. So through incrementalism, like when you put a, a frog in lukewarm water and you turn it up really gradually to a slow boil, by the time it gets to a slow boil, the frog doesn't know to jump out. Whereas if you put a frog in boiling water, he'll instantly jump out. So through incrementalism, which is the same as that analogy I just gave, they've been able to acclimate society to these things. I mean, the transhumanism movement, the genetically... I mean, you look at what Hollywood has done with all of this stuff, and that shows splice, and ah, oh, you could go on and on and on and on. An alien agenda. I mean, that shouldn't surprise us in the least bit that that would be going on. Now, we can also look at the Bible, which is really... The only thing that really matters when it comes to judging the day and the times we're living in, I mean, we should be able to take the Bible and uh, confirm whatever we're talking about, right? I mean, isn't that fair? If, if the Bible's the gold standard, well, that's very easy to do. And this is why I don't shy away from these types of subjects, because the Bible confirms all of the things that are happening right now, and it should actually be a, a faith-building 
thing, not a faith-tearing-down thing. It shouldn't be something that would really uh, scare us, in other words. Because the Bible clearly predicts it was going to be this way. And let's just take a little look at this. Genesis 6-2, um, and this is when the angels fell, the, the, the angels that pro- procreated with women, Genesis 6-2, that, and that the sons of God, which were at that time good angels, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wise all that they chose. Now, there's a big transition that takes place in this first verse. Or actually, it's Genesis 6-2. The sons of God, they were still good. They saw the daughters of men that they were fair. That didn't make them fallen. Okay? The transition occurred is in the next part of the verse. It says, and they took them wives, all of which they chose. That's when they became fallen angels. When they actually committed the act. Okay? That was when everything changed and they were not referred to anymore as the sons of God. They were essentially fallen angels at that point. Okay? It wasn't the godly line of Seth like a lot of the cemeteries, I mean seminaries teach. There's no, there's no, if it was the godly line of Seth, if it was a good, good men, why in the world would good men procreating with women produce a race of giants? That doesn't make any sense at all. But that's what the seminaries teach because it's more palatable. Because they can't go to their congregation and present anything so scary like that to them. They may lose membership. It may it might drive people away. Wouldn't it be politically correct? It's not it's not kosher enough. You know, it's come on. So but it's so obvious. This is what's going on. Now, you could say, well, the sons of God that were referred to that in the New Testament. Yes, we are. In the New Testament Greek. But in the Old Testament Hebrew, the term, and look it up, please, don't take my word for it. Do a keyword search for sons of God in the Old Testament. Go up to Blue Letter Bible, key it in, see what comes up. Every single instance of that phrase in the Old Testament, remember we compare scripture with scripture, Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament Greek, okay? Every single instance when they use the sons of God, it is always in reference to angels, Always. It's never in reference to godly men or saved Christians. Never. So, I've done those comparisons before. Just key in the word Nephilim or a derivative of it um, in the keyword search box at ContendingForTruth.com. I have spoke on this subject at length ad nauseum. I mean, many, many studies. Redundantly. Over and over. So, anyway... um, the sons of God mentioned here are fallen angels, which rebelled and sinned against God. These fallen angels are the spirits of darkness, and Satan is their leader. Uh, fallen angels saw the daughters of men that they were fair. They took them wives. This is what the Bible is talking about in the New Testament. Now, if we go to Jude 1.6 and 1.7, this portion of scripture specifically talks about these specific angels that fell in Genesis 6.2. Specifically, they're mentioned here in Jude, New Testament, Jude um, 1, 6, and 7. And the angels which kept not their first estate, that mean, that word first estate means their home, their abode. Okay, The angels, at that point they were still good angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, their own home, habitation, abode. Okay, They left it, they came down to earth, procreated with women. They left where they were meant to be, in other words. Okay, He, meaning God, hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness 
under the judgment of the great day. They're in a special compartment of hell called Tartarus. There's one other verse that mentions this in Peter, and I just went over this not too long ago in a teaching, where it talks about this, it's, it's referred to as hell, but if you look at the actual derivation of the word in Greek, it's Tartarus. It's the only time it's ever mentioned in the New Testament. That word, it's the only time. It's a special compartment of hell just for the fallen angels. Okay, Now, obviously, a third of the angels fell with Satan, originally. So, not all of them made this extra step and procreated with women. I believe it was only a select, not few, but a select number of them that actually took that really, really bad step. And not only did they fall, but they actually procreated with women. Those specific angels that did that, that left their own habitation and procreated with women, they're in a special compartment of hell called Tartarus. That doesn't mean all the fallen angels that ever fell are in Tartarus. Okay, they haven't even, the ones that didn't do this are still, you know, free. They're, they're, they're going to eventually be thrown into the lake of fire with Satan and his angels, but they're not in there yet. And this is, this is our main adversary on planet Earth right now. And then we have the demons, which I believe are the disembodied spirit of the Nephilim, which are different than fallen angels. And I've done teachings on that, where I think it's easy to prove that. Um, Because demons and devils are not the same, I believe, as fallen angels. I think they're a different thing. And, again, key in the word Nephilim in the keyword search box at ContendingForTruth.com, because I've already covered that topic many times, over and over. So, and the angels which kept not their first estate, let me say this all in totality, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. And they're in Tartarus. Okay, next verse. And this clarifies it. Now, if we only had verse 6, you could say, well, does that mean that all fallen angels are there? Uh, That wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. All fallen angels were there right now. Okay, I mean, anyway, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, and here is the kicker, and going after strange flesh. What does that mean? Well, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, particularly we know about the men, were sodomites. They were homosexuals, men lusting after men. Okay. Biblically speaking, when God sees that, he says that is going after strange flesh. Meaning, they're going after something, meaning man burning in his lust toward another man. That's something that is, that is abnormal, it's strange, It's a crime against nature. It's off limits in God's eyes. They're comparing the fallen angels that went after women, who they have no biblical right to do, had no biblical right to do. They're comparing them to the the, um, inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah who are also going after strange flesh. That's the example being used. So we can clarify specifically what angels are we in reference to here. Okay, so, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, notice, it's still fornication is the sin, and in this case, uh, fallen angels with human women, and Sodom and Gomorrah's, it would be men going after men, okay, fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. 
God rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah, on the Sodomites, on the inhabitants there, killing, killing them all. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but went after these women, he hath preserved in chains of ju- judgment, basically in hell, um, uh, under the judgment of the great day, it says. So they're, they're, they're there as parallels and cross-confirming examples. Okay, so, uh, let's see here. So, let's go further. The result and the fruit of this ungodly union of Genesis 6-2, meaning the sons of God saw their daughters of men of the fair, they took wives of all of them that they chose. What was the fruit? Well, go to Genesis 6-4. The fruit was there were giants... That word's translated from the word Hebrew word Nephilim. There were giants in the earth in those days, or Nephilim also means fallen ones. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, and we're going to look at that too, when the sons of God came in under the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. Now we're specifically defining what actually happened here. Okay. These fallen angels procreated with women, and the women bear children unto them, bear them giants, essentially. These Nephilim fallen ones, they were literally half fallen angel, half human being. It was an admixture, it was a hybrid. It's like what the Bible talks about in Daniel, they shall mingle, they, meaning some other race, and I believe it is very similar to Genesis 6, 4 here. It says, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave unto them. That's why it's iron and clay, because iron and clay don't... That word cleave means to aptly fit. Like it's a good fit. It's not a good fit. Anyway. So, going further here. And they bear children to them. The same became mighty men, which of old, men of renown. This is where we get a lot of our Greek legends. And a lot of the legends throughout all the world. Okay? The Titans and... And, you know, Hercules and Achilles, which are self-admittedly, many times in those stories, you'll see, well, like, I think Achilles' mom was, like, uh, considered a goddess or something, and, and, and he had a human dad or something like that. Anyway, it, it's similar. Uh, it, this is where we get those legends from. Um, particularly, I believe, most, a lot of them came from this time frame in, in Genesis 6. And God saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth, now, this is more fruit of this union. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's kind of it's like the way it's starting to get now. Now, I'm not saying the remnant body of Christ, but I'm saying things are getting more wicked, it seems like, by the day. Don't you kind of feel that same dynamic going on? Well, we should actually be looking for a similar dynamic in today's day and age. Because Jesus Christ said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So, in the days of Noah, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We're seeing that more and more and more, which just confirms the Bible. Let's go further. So, after searching through the promised land for 40 days, I just read this this morning. I was reading Joshua, uh, and... Um, it kind of took me back to this verse in, in Numbers. After searching through the promised land for 40 days, this was what was reported. 
Okay, now remember, it said there were giants in the earth in those days. That was Noah's day. That was right before the flood. God had to actually flood the whole earth because the whole of humanity had genetically, from a DNA standpoint, become so corrupted, he had to wipe out everything. That would include all the animals, all the children, everything. And you'd say, oh, that's so cruel. Listen, if the gene pool has been corrupted through tainted DNA, through Nephilim, through the sons of God procreating with women, you let that go long enough, it's going to corrupt everything. Okay? God was doing it because he was merciful, because had he let it go on, even Noah's family would have been wiped out. And there would have been no pure, and I don't mean pure from, I mean like perfectly upright, puritanical, like sinless. I mean, I'm talking from a genetic seed line. There'd be no purity. There'd be no pure seed line left. There'd be no, and therefore the Savior could not ever come to save humanity because Jesus is, Christ is not going to come through a perverted seed line. This is why, a big reason why Satan did it to begin with because he figured if I can wipe out all humanity through a corrupted, perverted seed line, then the promises that the Bible talks about in Genesis 3 where it says that, um, the serpent is going to have his head bruised. It couldn't happen. If he wipes out all humanity, there's no one. There's there's no one here to bruise. That was that was a prophecy about Jesus Christ coming and defeating him at the cross through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So anyway, let's go back to the this uh, numbers. Numbers thirteen thirty, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, "Now Caleb was one of the ten." Um, Jewish, I guess, I don't, I don't like to use the word spies, but, but they sent them to spy out the land to see, you know, this was the promised land that God promised to give them, okay? So, uh, Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, meaning possess the promised land, for we are well able to overcome it. See, Caleb had some major mega faith. That was the difference between Caleb and the other, a lot of the other, um, Jewish spies. Okay, he had faith. He didn't care what it looked like. It was irrelevant to him. It didn't matter. God had already promised it. I mean, they just, you know, they're being fed by by manna, and I mean, they saw he saw the the parting of the Red Sea, and he saw the Pharaoh's army totally destroyed, and I mean, you know, a pillar of fire by night to guide them, and a cloud during the day. I mean, you know, the whole nine yards. You see all these incredible miracles happening. You know. It would be a really big time faith builder if you think about it. I mean, it would be it'd be astounding to see that to live that way. But as much as he has seen from God, um, and these other people had seen the same thing, they didn't have the the same faith that Caleb had, and that's why the Bible says, "Without faith, it is impossible to please God." This is why David could go out before Goliath. And say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares, you know, blaspheme the name of God, essentially? Who is this? I don't care who he is. All I know is what's coming out of his mouth is blasphemy. And it's against God. And I don't really care how big he is. Because you know what? God's way bigger. So he went out there without even essentially armor with five smooth stones. And the reason he had five stones is because he had four other brothers. Did you know that? He only had to use one stone to take down Goliath, but he had five. 
Well, Goliath had four brothers, which were also Nephilim. These were Nephilim giants, okay? Ishbabinab was one of his brothers. Well, one of the brothers had like six fingers and six toes on, on each hand. I mean, they were, I mean, these things weren't even human. They were going against. So, I really believe that God wants us to have a similar faith in the day and times we're living in. I don't care what it, I don't care how dark it is or how bad it looks or how big the giant is in front of you. I don't, I mean, I don't think God wants us to look at that. He wants us to look to him, to keep our eyes focused on him. Now, I'm not saying this because I think I'm Mr. Perfect or I'm like the pillar of whatever walking around, okay? I struggle just like everyone else. I'm just saying from a biblical standpoint, I think this is how God would like us to operate, okay? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for the ev- and the evidence of things not seen. And if you want to build your faith, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, one of the best ways to build your faith is to really uh, memorize scripture. Read scripture, true, but when you memorize it, it's part of you. Okay? Thy, thy words have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy words are a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, thy word, you know, is, is forever settled in heaven, O Lord. Th- these are things that, um, if we dwell on them and that becomes our reality, then when we see the, uh, these other things in front of us, we'll still hearken back to the word of God and think about those things instead of thinking about the situation or whatever thing we might... I mean, we're going to see some things really potentially, I really truly believe, of biblical proportions. I mean, pure, total evil. There's a very good chance that you're going to live to see Nephilim on this planet or pure evil manifested. And I don't think very many Christians are in a mental mind state right now to deal with that. But you have to understand, if you come up against something like that, it's not you. It's what can the Lord Jesus Christ do through you if you will let him. But you have to have the faith to believe he can do it. This is why the Bible says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Okay, This is why we're supposed to be doing that essentially every day, putting on the breastplate of, bless, breastplate of righteousness, our loins girded with truth, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, helmet of salvation, taking up the, sh- above all it says, taking up the shield of faith, faith, wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The Bible says, it's not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Those are really the weapons of our warfare when we would actually go against something pure evil. I don't think that um, your chances of, of actually killing something like with a weapon, I don't, I don't think that's very high. Uh, I think that you're going to have to rely on spiritual. The, the Bible talks about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning worldly or fleshly, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. So it's, a word, it's really the word of God and putting on the full armor of God and having the faith to believe that you can actually do. I really believe God is going to use the remnant for mighty exploits in the end times. I, I think that it's like Gideon's army right now. God purposely wanted a small army with Gideon. Why? Because God's going to get more glory that way. 
I mean, let's face it. If you go out and you've got equal numbers and you defeat the wicked, yeah, God's not going to get all... You could have said, well, we mean you had equal numbers. You know, that's why you beat you beat the bad guy. But if, like, one or two or three people go out and defeat a thousand forces of evil in whatever way they may manifest, and they give God the glory, okay, God will get the glory. Okay, what would be the fruit of that? Well... Go to Psalm 64, which I've done a whole teaching on. You go to Psalm 64, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded, meaning the wicked. And then it goes on to say that all men shall see and fear and declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. And the righteous will be glad in the Lord and trust in him and all the upright in heart with glory. So it's an encouragement to God's people. And it's it, 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 it um, puts a sense of the fear of God on the wicked when they realize they can't they can't beat God they can't do it so many people in that uh, circumstance I believe could actually be saved which is the ultimate goal here too so uh, numbers 1331 now Caleb said we need to go into land and possess it for we were able to overcome it I, I love Caleb and then the next verse, uh, verse 31. But the men that went up with him, meaning with Caleb, said, we will not be able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They were just looking at the giants. They were looking at the giants and said, oh, no, no, there's no way. Next verse. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. These giants are cannibals. Literally. Okay? And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. In other words, they were like grasshoppers before these giants. And they thought, there's no way. I don't care what I've seen God do. I don't care all these miracles I've seen God do. I am going to choose to totally ignore all the miracles God's done in my life. And I'm just going to focus on the giants. And we can't overcome them. That's going to really make God mad, I think. And you look at then 40 years in the wilderness. He let all that race die out, essentially, because they, had no, they didn't have the faith. They did not have the faith. He rose up their, their generation that they produced and they weren't allowed or permitted to go into the promised land because pretty much of this... Now, I understand, there were things that led up to this as well in the wilderness that angered God, but I think this was the straw that broke the camel's back, personally. Because it wasn't just Caleb's decision. It was more of a corporate decision by Israel. And, and this is what they, they basically chose. And I think it angered God and they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You know, so... They were just looking at weird grasshoppers in their sights. And God would have been like, good. Good, I want you to be small and insignificant like Gideon's army before them because I'll get more glory when I defeat them. But if you don't have the faith to believe that, fine. Go ahead and wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Well, we're coming to a time where literally, I believe, we could be facing this exact dynamic. Okay? In some way, shape, or form. Look at all of the 
monster-like things that Hollywood has telegraphed to us. And you're telling me they've done all this with all the whole alien agenda and the werewolves and the vampires and the the the, the Nephilim and all of these monster-like things and then the transhumanism movement. And there's no truth behind any of it. Now we have the whole zombie thing going on. and But nothing's ever going to come of any of it. I mean, don't worry. It, it's It's just... Nothing will ever come of any of it. You think Satan would have invested that much to brainwash us about these things and to try to put fear in us about these things and he has no ultimate end game? <laughs> You're sadly mistaken if you think that. I'm just waiting for that day to come because it's going to be like people are going to have to be forced when that starts to happen. We're going to really see who the real Christians are, I believe. Who really has faith? I'm not saying that again like I think I'm better. I'm just saying, it's a. Fa- I mean, me too. I'll be tested. We'll all be tested. I just look at it as a time where God can actually, like, where his, where his name can be glorified. And many could be saved as a result of what he would do through his remnant. That's how I'm looking at it. We're not there yet, but we could be very close. Now, people would say, like, for instance, gay people wanting to say, oh, the Bible's whatever, and it's this and it's that, and God's so wicked and it's so cruel. Now, we've just read here that the inhabitants of the promised land were essentially Nephilim. Okay, now, you could say, well, yeah, but that was, I thought that all, that only occurred in Genesis 6. Remember, what I read in Genesis 6, 4, where it says there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. This is the most clear example of also after that, which is after the flood. Now, I believe other angels fell, procreated with women, and produced their own race of giants. Satan had foreknowledge that God was going to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Therefore, Satan prepositioned these giant races, or these Nephilim-like races, in the promised land to... Take away their heart in their faith. And it worked. It worked on the first wave of Israelites. For the most part, I mean, you had Caleb and, and Moses and these people that still had faith, okay. But, for the most part, the Israelites were scared. They all had to die out. God had to raise up a whole other generation that had enough faith to actually go into the promised land and take it. It almost, In other words, it almost Satan's plan almost worked. So, these races of people were most likely, at bare minimum, their DNA was corrupted. Maybe not every single city they went into were a bunch of of giants. The Bible doesn't really indicate that in Joshua, when they actually finally went into the Promised Land. But most likely, just like anything, you crossbreed an animal long and hard and, and, and far enough, you might not see all of the DNA attributes of its original parents. Okay? Um... How big the people were when Joshua went in there, I'm sure that there were some there there were some that were probably still giants, and there might have been some that maybe weren't as much uh, looking that way. But I do believe their DNA was totally corrupted. Okay, this is the reason God told them when they go into the Promised Land, you got to kill everybody, children. A lot of times it was the animals too. Everything had been corrupted essentially. This is why God gave them that command. Not because God was trying to be mean, but because he knew that unless the DNA was quenched from the land, just like in the flood, it was going to turn into another gigantic problem. Just like it did in the days of Noah. 
And this is why you go to like Joshua 10, and I was reading this this morning, and it said, and I'm just going to give you some examples. In verse 28, verse 10, And that day Joshua took uh, Machedah and smote it with the edge of the sword, and the king thereof he utterly destroyed, and them and all the souls that were therein he let none remain. Okay, then we go to two more verses later. Um, and the Lord delivered it also, and the king thereof in the land of, of Israel, and smote it with the edge of the sword. This is another town. And all the souls that were in therein, and he let none remain in it. And then we go two more verses. And again, it's the same thing. Another town is Lachish. He took it on the second day, smote it with the edge of the sword, and all the souls that were therein. It's over and over and over and over again. But I believe he did that because these were pagan, heathen, pagan heathens that were most likely had their DNA tainted as well. I mean, because obviously, when they first went in to spy out the promised land, that was the deal. They had 40 days to look around in the promised land. 40 days. And this was the report they brought back. Where's grasshoppers in their sight? The book of Joshua doesn't get into it as much. Okay, but they could have all been giant races. It just doesn't mention it as much. But let's face it, 40, 40 years is not going to change the fact that they're going to be still giants in the land when they go in there to possess it. It's just that this generation had enough faith to believe that God, you know, God could take them out if they were obedient and did what God said. So, uh, this is what, why God had to do these things throughout the Bible where even children were killed. They weren't even fully human. You know, and that's why they were trying to corrupt the seed of mankind. So in the original text, the word Nephilim, which comes from the word Nephal, which means to fall, the giants were descendants of the fallen angels and the daughters of men. Before the flood, the sons of God, um, which became fallen angels, had sexual relationships with the daughter of men who bore children to them. The text says that also after that there were giants in the earth, and that means that fallen angels had these relationships with the daughters of men also after the flood. So, contrast and compare this with the warning Jesus Christ gave us, Matthew 24, 37. But as the days of Noah, or Noah, were, so shall the, also the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, the coming of the Son of Man? Yeah. Well, that's, you know, whether you believe in pre-, mid-, or post-tribulation, the coming of the Son of Man is on a calendar, on a timetable, um, viewpoint of a historical timeline, very, very close. Okay? When you compare it to like the last 6,000 years. Very, very, very close here. Okay, so as the days of Noah were, we just saw what was the most, if you took a news crew back to Noah's day, what would be the number one story you would be reporting on? You know? Would it be Noah building the ark? Uh, Would it be, you know, no. It's going to be that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they produced a race of Nephilim and it was consuming the whole earth, essentially. And the thoughts of man's mind was only evil continually. That, that, was, that would be the main stories, bar none, what you'd bring back. Well, as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Luke 17.26 also says it, where it says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Son of Man means when, you know, when Jesus Christ comes back. It's capital S in the King James Bible. Okay, capital S. It's Jesus Christ we're in reference to here. So, this is a quote by G.H. Pember, a 18th century Christian, and says, The influences of the Spirit of God 
are even now in the process of withdrawal. As he prepares for the departure from earth, which will leave it open for the Nephilim. Now, I, you know, that's the whole thing about the whole the Holy Spirit being totally taken from the earth during that. I'm not saying I buy into that totally. I don't see how a born-again Christian is going to be able to operate on planet earth. Or how people would even be able to be converted if there was no Holy Spirit there to convict them. The Bible is very clear on that, unless the Spirit draweth the man. So I'm, I'm not saying I bind all that. It's just an interesting quote here. He says, sevenfold worse than those who formerly dwelt in it to enter and for a short season to work their will upon the human race. Then with all the Nephilim who are yet at liberty be among men and will quickly make them feel the meaning of that awful utterance. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having wrath, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So he was basically saying that in reference to the end times that we're moving into here. And that was back in the late 1800s. So you can imagine how much worse it is today. So, as far back as the beginning of time and within every major culture of the ancient world, the astonishingly consistent story is told of, quote, gods who descended from heaven and materialized in bodies of flesh. From Rome to Greece and before that. From Egypt to Persia to Assyria, Babylonia, and Sumer. The earliest records of civilization tell of an era when powerful beings known to the Hebrews as, quote, watchers, and in the book of Genesis, as the Benai Elohim, or the sons of God, this is where the, that term, sons of God, comes from the Hebrew term, Benai Elohim, mingled themselves with humans, giving birth to part celestial, part terrestrial hybrids known as Nephilim. In other words, this goes back to antiquity, you know, that this has been documented. When English theologian George Hawkins Pember, in the 1876 work entitled Earth's earliest ages, analyzed the prophecy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 24 that we just said about as it was in the days of Noah. Um, he concluded the final and most fearful sign heralding the Lord's second coming would be the return of the Nephilim. That only makes sense. The, and he said, the appearance upon earth of beings from the principality of the air in their unlawful intercourse with the human race. Does a curious verse in the book of Daniel validate uh, Pember's thesis? Speaking of the last days of human government, Daniel said, they, again we've said this, but they, meaning some race other than human race, it's not animals, obviously, well, what else could it be? You know, what else could it be? They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, meaning they're two different seed lines. Satan's seed, like the Bible talks about in Genesis 3. The Bible clearly says Satan has a seed. Genesis 3, when he's pronouncing judgment on Eve, and Satan, you know. And so, they, and I believe it's Satan's seed, these fallen angels, shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Daniel 2.43. While Daniel does not explain who they, that, quote, mingle themselves with the seed of men are, the personal pronoun they raises questions over who or what in the end times mingle themselves with the seed of men. I mean, you watch any of these alien shows which this has everything to do with that, essentially. It's, it's Satan's way of softening us up for, for this concept, softening humanity up. If, if you read people, that these accounts of people that get abducted, and these types of things. Now, you have to understand, 3, 3, to, 3 to 4% of the population of America says that they've had some type of abduction experience. 
That's millions of people. Are they all nuts? I mean, is the, are they all crazy? No, I don't think they are. When you look at that scenario, these supposed aliens are always obsessed with the reproductive systems of the humans they are abducting. Many times, the women, all of a sudden, even though they're not married or single or haven't had intercourse with anybody, all of a sudden turn up pregnant. And then about four or five months into the pregnancy, they're abducted again. Many times they have recollections of themselves being in military hospitals in an underground base somewhere. And the baby's gone when they when they miracul- miraculously wake up the next morning. They're like breeder mothers. Okay, The same thing was going on in Noah's day. Essentially, it was just being done in a different way. So... I believe that's the reason they're so obsessed with the female and male reproductive systems when these people get abducted. Now, you want to know more about um, this uh, coercion, this um, agreement that our government has established with these entities? Kian Grenada, G-R-E-N-A-D-A, I believe, Grenada Treaty, or Kian Treaty or Grenada, in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com, I did a huge study on this. And um, it was around the same time this treaty was signed when all these people started getting abducted. Coincidentally enough, this stuff wasn't happening in the 1800s or in the 1700s. People weren't getting, abdu- getting abducted by the millions in those time frames. It was after this treaty was signed that everybody, all these people started really getting abducted in mass. I don't think there's any coincidence for that. You listen to that teaching and, you know, and it would line up exactly with what we're talking about today. 100%. As wicked as our government's gotten overtly now, why would you put that past them? They'll do anything on the planet to get their, to get their hands on technology that they deem would give us an edge or an advantage over humanity or over other countries. They'd sell their soul in a heartbeat. I have heard, and again, I've heard these guys that are pushing for disclosure, like, um, I forget their names, a lot of them. I've, I've watched their their lectures. What it always boils down to with these, these people, these guys in the UFO movement, and a lot of them are ex-military. Most of the time they believe, well, number one, there's good and bad aliens. It's the whole good cop, bad cop, alien thing. So... That's a total lie from the pit of hell. They're all evil. Okay, But what it always boils down to is that, you know what? I don't care what it costs or what we have to do. All that matters is that we get the goodies. We get their technology. Because that will solve all of our problems. We'll have free energy. We'll have this. We'll have that. And they have these abilities. And, and if we would just have disclosure, meaning disclosure meaning when... Our government openly announces our collusion with, with these supposed alien life forms. When that all finally happens, then we'll be able to actually release all of this suppressed technology that the government's had in its possession for all these decades, since they've been working with these entities, and we'll be able to have this nice big New World Order utopia where, you know, we'll have free energy and, you know, 
all these advancements in medicines and things of this nature. And I'm sure that's going to be a carrot that is offered to humanity, no doubt. Uh, and I'll cover that in many other teachings as well, that whole aspect. But let's go further. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so this is a little bit of reiteration, but I'll just say this for clarity's sake. Continuing what I was reading, it says, regarding this verse in Daniel, Daniel 2.43, where it says, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Uh, who are these non-human seed? Because it can't be human because it says they, meaning it's separate, different. It staggers the mind to contemplate how the same phenomenon that occurred in Genesis 6, Genesis chapter 6, where non-human species or non this non human seed mingled with human seed and produced a Nephilim, the Nephilim, uh, that it could actually happen again in the end times. Yet, when this verse from Daniel is coupled with Genesis 3.15, which says, this is when God pronounced judgment on Eve and the serpent, and I will put enmity, that word means war, between thee, meaning the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed, the serpent's seed, and and that word seed means is, is derived from the Hebrew word zera, which means offspring or descendants or children. And her seed. Now, I don't buy into the whole thing about Eve having intercourse with Satan. That's totally unnecessary. That is a, I mean, in order to get that view, you've got to read a book. Because you're not going to read the Bible and come to that conclusion, most likely. It's just not going to... I never came to that conclusion. It doesn't say it anywhere in the Bible. You might have to read some other whatever non-biblical, non-canonical book maybe to maybe get that thing or some whatever. I know there's a lot of supposed ministers that taught that. But I'm, I'm talking, if all you had was a Bible, and this is how you should judge everything. I get a lot of people emailing me and they're like, well, what about this theory? I've gotten to the point where it's like, okay... If all you had was a, was the Word of God, the King James Bible, if that's all you had and you were in a room, would you ever come to that conclusion on your own? Would you ever, in your wildest dreams, be able to... Now, it's probably harder to be objective because you might already be brainwashed into a certain belief system that maybe is unbiblical. I'm not condemning people, I'm just saying. Maybe you're there. I had a guy today email me about that. He's like, he's thinking Christian identity movement is the way. And I'm like, oh my word, that's a cult. The whole lost ten tribes and British Israelism and, and a lot of that stems straight from like Nazi stuff. It's it's a lot of it comes out of the Ku Klux Klan and, and and this type of stuff. This whole, you know, Aryan thing. Well I'm like, no, 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 no. And that was the question I posed to him. I'm not condemning him, I'm just saying, you know, if you were locked in a room and all you had was the King James Bible, would you ever come to that conclusion on your own? Well, most likely not. So I really, you know, all these books that have come out and all this and all that and all this man's teaching and all these preachers out there that I tell people this, I'm like, listen, don't, don't go by man. Man can fail you. The Bible says, cursed be the man that trusted in man and that maketh flesh his arm. Meaning, if you're relying on some preacher, or some whatever, prophet, apostle, whatever they want to call themselves, for all your biblical instruction, or most of it, you better be real careful. Because unless that man, or 
woman preachers. I guess you, a lot of people follow, like Joyce Meyer did a thing not too long ago on her, how the lesbians all absolutely adore her with all these conferences she goes to. Anyway, um, if you want to see my teaching I've done on, on what women can do for the Lord, I've done a teaching on that, just key in women, and it's not chauvinistic, it's just biblical. Okay, But there's no, in other words, there's no Bible for a woman pastor. There, there's none. There's no New Testament precedent. There's none. Okay, And if we compare Scripture to Scripture, it's, it's pretty obvious. Um, the pastor is to be the husband of one wife. It never says the pastor is you know, to be the wife of one husband. Never. Maybe it does in some of the new perversions, but not the King James Bible. So it was very clear. Anyway, um, whoever you're tr- choosing to follow, if you're, if you're leaning on that person for your guidance and everything about your spiritual walk, that's not biblical. You need to be immersed in the Word of God. You need to be relying on the Word of God. And like I said, don't even trust me. Check out what I'm saying. Compare it with the Word of God. Because a man can fail you. And I don't tell anybody to just follow me. Follow the Word of God. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the incarnate Word. So, that's something that's very important. I, I really see people getting off on all kind of strange, crazy tangents because of all these different teachers that they've exposed themselves to. And the Bible talks about them heaping themselves teachers, having itching ears, and swept about of every wind of doctrine. Because you know, so much of the time it's because, oh, I got a word from the Lord. Oh boy, here we go. I'm not saying God can't speak to somebody, but in today's day and age you better be real cautious about that kind of stuff. I just look at, okay, well how many, how many prophecies have they nailed 100% of the time? Because that's the test of a prophet, according to Deuteronomy 18. Unless you're getting it right 100% of the time, you're not of God. And the penalty was only death. You know, I mean, hey, it was a big deal. They just killed him. When they, it had to not only get it right, but it had to line up and confirm the word of God. It wasn't just enough to get it right. Okay, so that's still true today. I mean, they should be able to, a real prophet should be able to fulfill those two categories. And I see that happen very little. So just be really careful who you're following. Uh, all these 501c3 ministries that are yoked up with the government, that by itself, they're at a spiritual disadvantage. That by itself tells me that at least on some level, they are deceived. They're on the 501c3 train that's going to yoke up with the one world religion eventually, and eventually they're going to either have to get off that train, and, and it concerns me the fact that God hasn't showed them how big a deal that is. And many times they're reading some perverted Bible too, some New Age Bible. 501c3 ministry, reading some perverted Bible. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a really, really big deal. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So, if you're reading some perverted Bible, it doesn't line up with what's in heaven. It's translated from some most likely spawned from the 1881 Revised Version of the two occultists, Westcott and Hort, that used two corrupt Catholic manuscripts to translate the Bible. Almost every new version today spawned from that version. Well, it's a corrupted word. But there's so many ministries out there that are doing both those things, and it's just the norm. And I'm not saying that because I think I'm better. 
it's just very concerning to me that it's so incredibly prevalent. Then you get all these people supposedly hearing this from God or hearing that from God, and it doesn't line up with the word of God. Well, then you know they're not of God, or at least what they're hearing is not of God. So, anyway, let's go further here. Uh, Let me read this last verse. Uh, When this verse from Daniel is coupled with Genesis 3.15, which says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, an incredible tenant emerges, that Satan has a seed that is at the at, at enmity or war with Christ, and that it is set to return in these last days. Has the time of their coming arrived? Yes, it has arrived. And if you want to see my teaching on that, the serpent seed, I believe it's heresy. Just key in serpent, or the word seed in the keyword search box. I believe I did a brief teaching on it in the, uh, uh, the, um, it's listening, uh, listener questions and answers. It's, it's in that one. Um, it's an older teaching, but I just compare the Bible and disprove it because it's pretty easy to disprove if we look at what the Word of God says, uh, that Eve, Eve did not have sex with Satan, okay? It didn't happen. So, but a lot of people want to say that that's where this serpent seed line actually came from. We don't need that. We don't need that at all. We got the fallen angels procreating with women. That's the serpent seed line. I mean, that's overtly serpent seed evil. Okay? So, we don't need this whole Eve procreating with Satan thing. And anyway, let, let's go further. Back to this, actually, I kind of veered off there. Back to the main article. Um, let me see something here. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit further here and then go to part two. Um, but what continues to haunt me, and this is back to the main article, was the look one eyewitness gave me when he said, Fritz, you don't have a clue. What is going on, meaning in these underground bases, is beyond all you have thought of. And after that, there was a stone-faced mask, stone-faced mask on his countenance. Well, I remember I spent about five days with a former black ops colonel in the mountains of North Carolina. That was actually before I moved up here to North Carolina. Uh, and I spent five days in the mountains with this guy and his wife. And he's been in them. He's been in these underground bases. He was actually, you know, one point guard duty the whole nine yards. And when I had heard his interviews, a lot of what he said really rang true. And you can't even comprehend how incredibly wicked things are in these underground bases. Where you've got these non-human entities experimenting on humans and... You know, it says right there that the inhabitants ate up the land. The sons of Anak. It's no different now. They just do it underground, covertly. You wonder why there's eight, nine hundred, a million people missing in America every year, and that's according to government statistics. And I don't mean the ones that you're seeing the little girl down the street that got kidnapped and it's all over the news. I'm talking about the hundreds of thousands of people that are missing every year that aren't on the radar screen. They're not on the radar screen. They're runaways, they're homeless, they're, I mean, there's all these other categories that do not show up on the radar screen. You wonder where they end up? 
Well, a lot of them end up on satanic altars. I've already covered that in previous weeks. A lot of them end up in these underground bases. Used for all manner of vile wickedness. And food. The the most wicked things that are going on on the planet worldwide are going on, I believe, most likely underground in these bases. And this is why I do the study. So we can pray about it. Because if there's no prayer going up for any of this, then most likely God's not going to do a whole lot. I'm not saying God can't. But typically prayer is, is, is the thing, the prayers of the saints of God is the thing that moves God's hand regarding a given issue. But if we're not aware of it, you know, we're ignorant of Satan's devices. Uh, we could be destroyed for lack of knowledge, these types of things. So I just want to make people aware about this because it's beyond serious. I mean, it's <laughs> the most serious thing you could possibly imagine, but... Um, yeah, it, it, those five days, I came back and I was just like, I mean, I was, my head was spinning. I, I, it was, tra- it was traumatic, literally, to hear all this stuff. Um, anyway, let's go further. My first experience with this subject was when I was a fifth grader in Hawaii. This is Fritz talking. On one field trip, we were taken inside the iconic Diamond Head volcano where the government of Hawaii had an unused facility in case they needed to flee a nuclear holocaust. I realized the government had placed... You know what? I need to I need to end part one here and go to part two because I'm running out of time. So I'm going to go to part two here and we'll go from there. God bless you. Scott Johnson's weekly audios are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R- uth.com Please help us continue this work to support this ministry. Our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2nd Line 450 Conover C-O-N-O-V-E-R Boulevard West Number 202 3rd Line Conover, North Carolina 28613 Or on the internet, PayPal can be used at contendingfortruth.com Thank you and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.